It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Tim Kachuriak, founder and chief innovation and optimization officer for Next After, a fundraising research lab and consulting firm that works with businesses, nonprofits, and NGOs to help them grow their resource capacity. A nonprofit thought leader, Tim is the author of the book Optimize Your Fundraising, lead researcher and co-author of the online fundraising scorecard, Why Should I Give to You, and the mid-level donor crisis. Tim has trained organizations in fundraising optimization around the world and is a frequent speaker at international nonprofit conferences. He is also the co-founder and board member of the Human Coalition, a member of the board of directors of Open Doors USA, an advisory board member from the SMU Digital Accelerator, advisory board member for Kids Prosper Kids, and an advisory board member for the Blackboard Institute for Philanthropic Impact. Tim lives in proper Texas with his wife, Rebecca, and their four children. Tim Kachuriak, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. It's great to be here, Brent. Great to have you here. And, uh, you know, gosh, we're at seven, eight months going into <laughs> this COVID experience or COVIDian times, as I like to call it. And interestingly, as we were sharing prior to the podcast, we both have recently gone to Florida. You with a big group, my with a, a small group. And, um, you know, it's kind of been very interesting to get back on planes and trains and automobiles again and traveling. H- how are you doing personally, professionally, and and certainly with regards to your family during these times? And h- how is this pandemic in Impacted you? Well, it's it's certainly been a, a different experience. I mean, I usually mm. travel um, three to four times a month, and so right. all right. that shut down the middle of March, and it's been uh, interesting sleeping in my own bed, having a regular schedule. <laughs> I mean, I've I've gotten out on the golf course a lot more than I have in, in recent years. So, right. Uh, right. all in all, it's been I think a, a nice. Uh, honestly, a nice time with family. Every, everybody stayed well and mm-hmm. so forth. No, no major illnesses and so forth in the family. Cu- couple scares. We, we've we've yeah. gotten tested several times, but uh, right. so right. far nobody infected. Well, I'm actually in quarantine, as I just mentioned. I came back last night from down in the Panhandle, so I'm following the protocol. Going to stick to myself for a couple of days, do a test. I think on Wednesday or Thursday, and then uh, hopefully be out in the world again. But uh, you know, those are the these are the times we're living in, and uh, we've got to live by the rules. That's right. <laughs> well, Tim, we love to start the podcast and, you know, just understanding a little bit about your background and you know, just tell me a little bit about your early years, you know, what you did growing up, where did you, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. 
Sure. So, yeah. So I grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. So go Steelers, go Penguins, uh, <laughs> Pirates, not so much. But mm. uh, and uh, I went to college in Pittsburgh at Robert Morris University, and I graduated right after 9-11, which oh is a yeah. horrible time to enter into the job force. Yeah, yeah. But uh, fortunately, I worked at a country club all during high school and college. So I like the joke. I had 432 aunts and uncles that were captains of industry. So <laughs> nice, uh, <laughs> nice. Lots of good influences there. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the guy who I, I desperately wanted to work in the field of advertising and marketing and the guy who was the president of the country club uh, was also the president of the second largest ad agency in Pittsburgh, Blattner oh, Bruner. Wow. So I went and met with Joe and, and uh, did my little dog and pony show. And he was like, you know clapping his hands and and he's all excited he's like oh man i'd love to hire you but then he started to wring his hands and look down he's like but you know we well, just laid off 30 people yesterday oh my goodness yeah. 9 11 has hit our hard. industry hard our agency harder sorry i can't help yeah. you yeah. so yeah my first six months out of college it was kind of like this wandering in the in the wilderness uh, phase just trying to find somebody that would give me a shot um and then I ended up meeting a serial entrepreneur actually at a golf outing mm. and he had all these little businesses and I did a couple little projects for him. And he's like, you know what, why don't you start your own business? I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, well, I do. Mm. He's like, we've got an incubator on the second floor of our office building. I'll give you a desk. I'll introduce you to people. I'll be your partner. And the rest is up to you, kid. And so I'm like, well, man, I've got nothing to lose. I'm living in my parents' basement, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're out of school. I've got, investment out of school. Made. <laughs> I've got no overhead. I've got no, uh, no romantic interests. And so I was just right. like, yeah, might as well go for it. And so I ended up doing that for about five years, started this little company called Ambience Interactive. Yeah. We started off doing, like most businesses, just kind of trying to figure out what we were. Uh, so we would do any sort of outsource marketing project and then gravitated more towards the digital side of things. And this was around the time. And so this is like 2000, what's that? 2001, two. Right. right. And a lot of the general market ad agencies didn't have in-house digital capabilities. So we became like this boutique and worked with a lot of the ad agencies in town and, and it was great. And I loved it. Uh, I loved what I was doing. I wasn't really excited about the clients we were working with, not that they were bad, but we had a lot of automotive dealerships and legal clients and, Nothing wrong with lawyers and car dealers, but uh, didn't really <laughs> spin my wheels. Um, right. And so about five years into that, my church was doing a capital campaign. They were building a new worship center, and they mm. hired these uh, campaign consultants to come in and basically help them run this campaign. Wow. And so I said, well, you know, I'll volunteer our agency to do all the marketing materials for that campaign. And it was the first time that I was doing something that I felt like God had wired me to do, but for yeah. a cause I cared deeply about. And uh and, you know, once you get bit by that bug, it's hard to go back and awesome. make car dealership websites. No, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. So early years, did you grow up in a, in a church and faith-based home? I did. Uh, I actually uh, grew up and went to Catholic school until fourth oh, grade. And then okay. my parents basically went through the entire Reformation. Then we went to like a Lutheran church and then a Presbyterian USA church. And then we went to a non-denominational church. So um, had a lot of different kinds of experiences, a lot of different things forming my, my theology. But uh, oh, yeah, always right. grew up in a church. Yeah, active part of who you were. And, and that continued through uh, both high school and college. Indeed. Yeah, I got involved yeah. in some uh, different kind of campus ministries. And, um, you know, I also had my my wayward days where I went and tried to see all that the world had to offer and, and just found out that there was uh, not a lot there. <laughs> yes, as we well know. <laughs> Mom and dad, uh, believers as well, grew up in believing homes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, my mom, especially we were, uh, I, I was sharing with you before we went on that we had a family reunion this weekend. Yeah. My, my mom about uh, a year and a half ago was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh my goodness. And, uh, we, um, 
we we brought in all her aunts and uncles this this past week or i'm sorry all my aunts and uncles all right. her brothers and brothers sisters, and, sisters yeah. and we just had such a just a mm. sweet time together it was wonderful and my mom was just like in her absolute glory wow. so and my mom has just really been such like the anchor of our family in terms yeah. of our faith i mean she really um i mean i would say that my my dad um wasn't really walking closely with the lord until you know um probably about maybe 15 years or, or, mm-hmm, or so mm-hmm. ago. And my mom really just kind of like, you know, brought him along and it, it, she's just been like the rock of our family. So it was really cool to honor her this weekend and spend that That's time. Awesome. awesome. A lot of brothers and sisters. How big is your family? I've got one younger brother. Okay. Uh, he's about two and a half years younger. Uh, yeah. And uh, he's actually a missionary. So he's with oh, the wow. Great Commission Alliance and they do all okay. kinds of leadership and discipleship work all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And And mom, did she work outside the home? You know, she didn't uh, when we were in high school. And then when we went away to college, um, she took a job as a flight attendant. Mm. And um, she did that, honestly, just to kind of help pay for our college and, um, right. you know, got us back and forth. I was going to say free flights. Yeah, yeah. Free flights, exactly right. <laughs> That's some advantages. Um, but yeah, she just did that. It was just that short period of time, probably about six years she did that. And, and that's it. Awesome. And what about dad? What was his profession? So my dad... Uh, He's an entrepreneur as well. So okay. my go, going back to my my grandfather, my grandfather sold vacuum cleaners door to door for electric. Oh my gosh! Oh, uh, that's for great. Like, you know, forty years, and he was like the all time like top salesman for Electrolux. Um, <laughs> and my dad went to work for him for a little while, and then he started a painting business, and then he went to work for a couple companies. And I I, I always remember this. I was probably in third or fourth grade. And he was like this VP of sales for some big, you know, corporation. And uh, that year, like watching the home videos from Christmas, we got like all these toys and stuff. And it was like the thing that you throw the ball at and it, like mm. it bounces back to you because like dad wasn't there to play catch. And I think he got kind of fed up with all that. And, and <laughs> so he went back and started a, another business and he did that um, up until, uh, gosh, I guess last year when he shut down his, his business. Yeah. But uh, it was really neat growing up in that environment because right. he always had a business partner. And so when mm-hmm. I started my company next after, I was like, man, I I like the idea of having a business partner, somebody mm-hmm. to go through life with. And you know, my dad's business partner became Uncle Gary to us. I mean, they would right. come over for holidays and Christmas and and uh, we just kind of went through life together. I always yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Were you a good student in school? Uh, I was, uh, I was, I was probably, uh, you know, an average student. The subjects um, you liked, right? <laughs> well, see, the thing is like, so, you know, I was, I was, I was probably an underachiever, um, most of high school and then the first through, I guess, two years of, of college. But once I entered into my major, I realized that, you know, business was something I really, um, enjoyed. And mm-hmm, so, you mm-hmm. know, I ended up stopped buying the books and just like went to class and like really <laughs> developed relationships with the professors and really learned from them. And, you know, going to a business school like that, that was really what the exams came from was from the sure. lectures more than the the uh, the books, the texts. Yeah. And so I ended up getting straight A's like the last couple of years because I really loved it. Got into it. Yeah. yeah. And and having an entrepreneurial dad, I'm sure you had a lot of entrepreneurial things that you did growing up. What, what, what were those kind of things that you did to make extra spending money, whether in high school or going yeah. into college? Yeah, I I was always um, 
uh, I always had a job. So I got a job when I was 13 wow. working at a country club. And I, as I mentioned, I did that for yeah. nine years, all through high school, all through college. And it was now, were, like, you, were you a caddy there or did you I, actually? I started off as a bag boy. Bag boy, um, sure. And then, you know, you do the carts and right, pick up right. the balls on the range. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I eventually actually dropped out of college for one semester and entered the professional golf training program and worked oh. as an assistant golf pro for a couple of years. Wow. Um, I thought I wanted to do that as a business. I just really loved hanging around the shop and you know, kind of glad handling with all the members and, you know, sure. it was kind of a, a fun gig. But I think what I really learned from that experience is just how to talk to people, right? So like right. you think about it, like the people that are members of country clubs, you know, they kind of, um, I mean, they're, they're successful people, obviously, and, and um, they can be intimidating. Right. And I just learned right. to kind of be really relaxed around those kind of folks. And I think that that's honestly helped me in, in business. Yeah. Well, back to your uh, your career. So uh, Ambiance Interactive did that for about five years. And then mm -hmm. uh, then when did some ministry work? Tell us a little bit about that transition. Right. So after we did this capital campaign uh, for our church, you know, I just really fell in love with this idea of being able to use the gifts God has given me as a marketer, but use it for, you know, things that 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 mattered. Right. Um, and so uh, a friend of mine had made a bold career move. So he was a financial planner, certified financial planner. He shut down his practice and he accepted the job as uh, executive vice president for Coral Ridge Ministries down in South right. Florida. Yeah. And so, you know, right around that time, I, I, I reached out to him and I said, hey, man, what's going on down there? He's like, you should come check it out. Um, I just hired this guy. He's my new VP of ops. He's a legit rocket scientist, MIT mm. grad. His last job was working for DirecTV, sending satellites into space. He's like, I think he'd love this guy. <laughs> so I, uh, I left Pittsburgh um, on a snowy day. There's like six inches of snow on the ground. I get to Fort Lauderdale. And <laughs> no it's like, regrets on that. Yeah, no. right, right. The, the, <laughs> the ambient temperature is like 81 degrees. <laughs> and my, uh, <laughs> my interview, quote unquote, was at this place called the Aruba Beach Cafe, which is like oh right on goodness. A1A, right on the yeah, sand. They have the sliding it. glass doors open. The waves are crashing under the shore. The sea Take breeze is blowing off. through my hair. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's like going bling, 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 oh, you know, playing the little goodness. things. I and uh, I remember going back and uh, calling my wife. I said, honey, I think that God is calling us. <laughs> <laughs> Something's calling us down here. <laughs> uh, but that was I kind of like it. a, it was, it was a wild experience. I mean, in a yeah. matter of two months, we sold our house, sold our business. My wife was eight months pregnant with our second. Oh we had a 16 wow. month old and we left everything familiar and moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida wow. to work at Coral Ridge Ministries. Now that takes faith. Huh? It, it did. And it was, it was really hard because um, it was hard on my family, right? So I had bought a house like two miles from my parents in the same township I grew up yeah. in. And I was just going to repeat the family pattern. Like nobody leaves Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> but, and, and it was, it was, it was, I think it was hard for my family because, you know, we were the first ones to have grandkids for them. And so like mm -hmm. they had all these pictures in their head and, right. um, but God and had all a different of a sudden plan. you're four hours yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. so um, anyway, so I get to Fort Lauderdale. And the day I get there, the head of the ministry, Dr. Kennedy, who had been there for 35 years, had a heart attack. Oh, my goodness. Now, uh, it's important for me to point out that the correlation is not causation, or at least I hope not, right? So, <laughs> but, but he was hospitalized for about nine months, and then he passed away. And we went as a ministry from being about a $36 million a year organization to 18 and 12 months. So oh it goodness. was a wow. like a That's downward tough. spiral. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, everybody was trying to figure out, like, how do we do, like, ministry 2.0 in an era without the founder? And, um, you know, I got to be part of, like, the team that came up with, like, the new plan and the strategic initiatives. Um, and, you know, we had this whole kind of new new, new idea. And, and 
during that time, I was working with some of the fundraising folks, right? So like I kind of got this violent shove into fundraising. I was hired to do all the the digital communications for the ministry. But then they said, you know, whatever you're doing on the internet, you got to figure out how that stuff makes money because, right. you know, we're, we're dying. And that's when I really kind of discovered like fundraising. And we had this agency that we worked with, and I had no idea this even existed, that there's basically like marketing and advertising agencies that work exclusively with nonprofits. Mm. I was like, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. And we worked with one based out of Dallas called K May Direct Communications. And I got to know like their CEO and, you know, he got to know me and he said, yeah, look, kid, um, we've been doing direct mail for 35 years. I mean, that's how most nonprofits raise money. He's like, we've right. been really trying to figure out how to move into this digital space. Would you consider coming to Dallas and starting a digital fundraising division? I was mm. like, well, I don't know. Fundraising is like, that's okay. I can teach you that. He's like, yeah. but, you know, we really think that you can help lead us into this brave new digital world. So we left, uh, we were only at uh, Core Ridge for about 18 months. Right. And my wife was pregnant again, eight months with our third. So oh now goodness. we had like a three-year-old, a 16-month-old, and my wife was eight <laughs> you months got pregnant. got a basketball team. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I mean, talk about like a brave woman. I mean, like who moves wow. eight yeah. months into their pregnancy, has to get a new doctor, figure all that stuff out. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to Dallas and I went to work for this, this company called KMA Direct Communications. And, um, yeah, I thought I would love the job and hate Dallas, ended up loving Dallas and like really not liking the job. I mean, they yeah. had hired a bunch of executives at the same time. We're all stepping all over each other. It was just really messy. Hmm. And, uh, about six months in, I was like, you know, I'm, I've had it. Uh, I'm going to go start my own, my own gig. And, you know, I talked to all of my counselors and advisors and everyone's like, yes, of course you're an entrepreneur. This, this totally makes sense. It's a good move. I was very open with the leadership of KMA. I said, Hey guys, right. I don't think it's a fit. They said, we totally get it. Look, we'll give you a soft landing. You know, we'll, we'll kind of contract back with you for a period of time. And, you know, um, that will help your transition and help us as well. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I had a conversation with my brother and my brother and I were, we're never like super close growing up, but you know, we're brothers. Right. And so, right. um, I called him and I was telling him about my plans and stuff. He's like, that's really cool, man. But can I ask you a question? I mean, are you ever really content? You know, it just seems like you're always <laughs> angling for the bigger, better deal for Tim. He's and seen like, you moving around a lot. Yeah. It's just like cut right through me. Right. Mm. So it, it was I think God like really used that to expose to me that there was something else going on, right? Mm. Because we had, we couldn't even afford to get into the housing market in South Florida. When we moved to Dallas, I, you know, we bought this beautiful house. It was the nicest house I've ever lived in, but our house wasn't nice enough, right? right. We looked around yeah. and like, you know, our cars weren't nice enough. So oh, of course goodness. my job yeah. wasn't nice enough, right? So, so yeah. what it was, was a contentment issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, after that conversation with my brother, I said, look, I can either chase this for the rest of my life, right? Or I can suck it up and say, okay, God, you put me here. Doesn't feel good right now, right? right. But I'm going to I'm gonna go all in and just trust that you have me where you, where you want me. So I go back, hat in hand, to the leadership of KMA. I said, hey, guys, I, I had a change of heart. I really want to stick this out. And they said, great. You know, that's awesome. And Brent, looking back on it now, it was like a light switch moment. Yeah. Because yeah. like after that, after I committed, like, I mean, just like God, like blessed everything that I did. I mean, mm -hmm. we had some incredible opportunities with some very high profile clients. Um, and, and it was like being strapped to a jetpack. I was learning so much. <laughs> I was like, you know, being established as this like digital fundraising, like wizard and 
uh, I got to lead the pitch. So, so uh, they were building the George W. Bush Presidential Library oh, yeah. here in Dallas at, on yeah, the SMU right. campus. And it was a $300 million capital campaign. Mm. And I'd led the pitch for our agency uh, to to get all, and we we won all the digital work. I mean, I had George wow. George Bush and Laura Bush, they're two Secret Service agents, and like they listened to me talk for thirty minutes. How cool is that, right? Yeah, and so, fantastic. Um, you know, just all, I would have missed all those things if I had, you know, just kind of um, acted on my feelings, not on right. you know what was re- reality. So right. that was that was a great experience. Yeah. Cool. And so, um, and that was with Pursuant then, or or that was prior to? So that uh, was KMA. So and, about, KMA. Okay. and about two and a half years in, um, KMA was acquired by the Pursuant Group, which is okay. another agency. So that was the, trend, the next transition. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and I was there for probably another, I guess, 18 months or so. And, and at that point, you know, I had really become obsessed uh, starting at my time at KMA. And then also when I was at, at Pursuant, just how do we optimize digital fundraising, right? Mm. So like, how do we really start to bring over some of the things that I was learning about and and had been exposed in the for-profit space of conversion rate optimization and decision science and behavioral economics? How do we actually like bring some of that science to the arts of fundraising? Right. Um, And I'd go to all these conferences and, you know, I remember this one conference in particular, uh, I went to and I'm like, okay, you know, I, I... I'll go brush up on some skills because I, you know, I'm I'm the the, the gifted one. And I, in the first 15 minutes, I was just totally blown away by this whole idea of like really um, thinking about your marketing from the the perspective of your customer, like basically like inverting your perspective and trying to look at things like through the eyes of the customer. Right. And then the cool thing about the web is it's the greatest behavioral laboratory that's ever existed. So you can <laughs> test right. everything in real time and be able to get the answers back. And, you know, being a consultant all of my life, uh, everybody looks at you like you have all the answers. And we right. know deep down inside that we don't, right? Right, right. And so when I discovered testing, I was like, man, this could be a way for me to like finally just be free, right? And just be able to go and, and really figure out the answers by listening to my customer. So at that first conference, I remember I called my team. I said, guys, get ready because when I get back on Monday, this is going to change the way we do everything. I was like, wait, forget Monday. Uh, we were at the time working with the George Bush Presidential Center. We were right. doing everything that anybody would do if you're trying to acquire donors online. We're doing social media advertising. We're doing search engine marketing. We were doing email list rental. Hmm. And that very day, we had an email going out to a list of 200,000 um, subscribers and the purpose of the email is to try to get new members for the center, right? And I said, guys, give me about 30 minutes. Uh, I'm going to see if I can come up with like a new treatment, a new recipe for this email that we had been sending for months and months and months, and it was working really well. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to like apply the things I'm learning and at the same time, try not to break something that was working really well. So I only made one change to the email. It was to the very last sentence of mm. the email. Now, if you read like, you know, marketing best practice guides, they say that only 18% of people read to the end of the email. So how could making one tiny little change mm-hmm. make a significant difference? But nonetheless, uh, we decided to run the test. 100,000 people randomly got version A, 100,000 people got version B, which is the new treatment. And that one change produced 139% increase in click-through wow. and a 42% increase in revenue. And I was Incredible. like, at that moment, I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome. I want to do this for the rest of my life. All right. Now you're keeping me in suspense. What was the line? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody always asks. So, so, so it was the call to action. So it was the very last sentence of the sure. email. And the original read, please stand with President Mrs. Bush by making a tax-deductible gift now. I mean, sounds right. like a typical yeah. ask CTA. any nonprofit would make, yep. right? Yeah. Right. The optimized version said, please 
stand with President Mrs. Bush by becoming a charter member of the Ooh. George Bush Presidential Center, which, which conveys a stronger value proposition. What's more Absolutely. appealing, right? Absolutely. And that was the cool thing is just like, you know, making small little changes can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what a great, yeah. I mean, what a great discovery. And honestly, it was great to have that first experiment, like be such a, a success because I, you know, I'm, I mean, sometimes they don't, they don't work, right? Yeah, Sometimes you get a red right. arrow. And yeah. the cool thing about that, though, is that if you design your tests appropriately, every single experiment can can translate into learnings. And the learnings are what lead to breakthroughs. That's awesome. Yeah. So next after is where you are now. And that was founded, gosh, a little over eight years ago, almost mm -hmm. nine years now. What was the motivation behind that? And tell me about your transition from pursuant to, uh, to next after. So most of the agencies in our space, uh, the nonprofit fundraising agencies, they, they've all started off as direct mail companies, right? So right. which means their entire business model kind of really revolves around this, this, you know, this big, slow moving machine of direct mail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Digital moves at a completely different pace, right? right? And so so what they would do is they would they would add on like they'd bolt on a digital division to this this kind of like legacy direct mail company. And I just saw that that was very limiting as a business model. And so really the idea for Next After was like, what if we could just like focus exclusively on digital fundraising and even more specifically, mm. like use the web as a laboratory and, and create like this company that has this constant perpetual learning machine on, on the front end, right? That's constantly churning out like new ideas and testing them, bringing them to market and figuring out what works. So that you can kind of like stay riding that wave of of you know what's what's on the bleeding edge of things, and right, so that's really right. what Next After is today. We're we're three things: we're a fundraising research lab, mm -hmm. we're a training institute, and we're a consultancy. And each of those three different pillars kind of supports what I think is you know our unique value proposition. And now, did you found that with some other believers or folks that you knew from your advertising past? So I, combination I left, of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I left first, so um, I left pursuant, but I had I had met a couple of guys uh, that I really kind of like really gelled with. And like, we yeah. were on this, this, this voyage together, just, you know, trying to figure out how to optimize digital fundraising. Um, but I left first and and I, for the first year, I, what I thought next after was going to be, was like a um, kind of like a consultant to the consultant. So my early right. clients were like other agencies, technology companies, or other mm -hmm. folks that actually served the nonprofit directly. World. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that was, that was okay. I mean, it was a, it was a great transition because like, you know, I had like these monthly retainers and, you know, very steady income. And so it was, it was kind of cool. And what I thought I was going to do was help them to develop their own in-house digital fundraising mm. optimization capabilities, but that's not what they wanted. What they really liked about what I, I had to, to bring to the table was something shiny and uh, honestly quite sexy. Right. And mm -hmm, so like I ended mm -hmm. up really becoming an outsourced, um, Kind of like business development so guy. Business, yeah. So yeah. in other words, they they weren't so interested in learning how to fish. They really wanted you to fish for them. They wanted me to go reel in the big the big fish yeah. for them, right? Yeah. And so yeah. so I did that for you know about a year, and I was like, man, this is this is not really what I was hoping it could be. And and the problem too would be, I would go and kind of like lead the pitch, and everyone get excited. They'd sign on the dotted line, and then the the execution would be handed off to somebody else. I wasn't mm. involved in that, and right. Right. it wasn't you know, it wasn't being executed properly. I mean, yeah, you know, a great right. strategy without great execution is not worth the papers <laughs> written on, right? That's right. That's right. So, um, so I was like, well, that's not going to work. And so I uh, started working with nonprofits directly and, you know, I had one client and then got another client and, you know, that, that was really interesting because I could control 
um, the entire experience. And right. in the beginning, um, you know, it, it's, you know, when you're a single shingle, you do everything, right? So you go, uh, you've got to do the business development, then you got to be like the person sure. that like, you know, runs the, the, the client yeah. engagement the and then also up. has to figure out the technician side of things. You get all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, so it just send the bills and collect them as well. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so I was like, you know, I really do want a business partner. I think that that would be great. And so, um, there was a guy named Jeff Giddens who I met at Pursuant and he actually took over my job when I left and I had like, you know, a 12 month non-compete. So I couldn't even talk to him or not solicitation. So I waited till that ended and I called him on like the, the day it expired. I was like, Hey Jeff, I was like, what do you think about the, this thing over here? He's like, I was like, I thought you would never ask. And yeah. so he came over and he joined me as a partner. And then about six months in both Jeff and I were kind of more on the kind of client engagement side. Right. Uh, I'd probably lean a little bit more towards the business development side. He's probably more on like the managing the, the day-to-day operations of clients, but neither one of us was a technician. And we knew one guy that we had worked with over there named Kevin Peters, who is a, just an absolute brilliant technician. And so Kevin then joined our team about six months later Great. and came on as a partner. And so, uh, and then about uh, two years later, our fourth partner, Paul Klo, uh, came over, who brings the whole kind of operations, finance, you know, accounting, legal. He brings all that kind of stuff that none of us really want to mess with. Okay. So, and so how many of... how many employees today, and when what's your scope of work? Yeah, we have uh, 27 employees, cool. uh, 35 clients across North America. And uh, the way that we're organized now, again, we've got our client service division is the largest part of our company. And then we have a media, media buying team. We've got a whole data analytics team. And then we've mm-hmm. got our institute team, which is really focused on the training and ongoing research side of things. So if you take a look at some of your early experiences, you know, obviously you've been both the entrepreneur as well as worked for larger companies. You know, what are some of the lessons you've learned and, and have you applied those at Next After? Well, I think the first one came before I even started Next After, uh, which is just, you know, you can't make decisions based on how you feel, right? Mm. I mean, because our, our feelings are, are fleeting. They, they change by the, the minute sometimes, right? right. Uh, and if we... If, if we make decisions based on our feelings that we're not making decisions based on like what's, what's truth and what's reality. And so mm-hmm. I have to constantly go back and, you know, just, I mean, any leader has to be constantly self-monitoring and be self-aware and just, you know, understand that, you know, the, I mean, the, the CEO doesn't get to have a bad hair day, right? I mean, you got, <laughs> you've got to suck it up and, and just, you know, sometimes, um, lead in spite of how you feel. And yeah, just like anyone else, I'm incredibly insecure. I mean, like, honestly, like I, so I speak at probably 20, 30 conferences a year and I love it. It's so fun. I love being on stage and uh, I love having a captive audience, but we run our own conference every year where we have, you know, probably between seven and 900 people that come from the nonprofit space. Right. And every, uh, not a lot of people know this, but like the night before that conference is like the darkest time of my year. Like, really? because I've got like all of my staff there, all of our clients there, every person in the industry that knows me is there. And it's terrifying. <laughs> and I feel like I have to <laughs> constantly like, fright or what, well, what's like, it just, really? I, I just, I, I, uh, I just, I feel like an imposter, you know, you just go yeah. through all these, like these yeah. emotions. I feel like I have to constantly like reinvent myself and I put all this pressure on myself and it's just like, you know, I mean, that's the time where I just have to like, you know, fall on my knees and like, God, 
right. you're gonna have to carry me because I'm I'm toast, you know. Um, now, are your other uh, co-founders believers, and is your organization? Would you consider it faith-based, and how you, you know, kind of manage and run the organization? Yeah, they are. They are believers, which is which is awesome. Uh, we're all involved in C12, which is right. great. Um, yeah. Which so is we, how we met, by the way. That's and, right. Uh, that's right. We'll, we'll be seeing each other. We haven't met yet, but we'll be seeing each other at Current Twenty One, where I, I believe you'll be speaking. That's right. right? Yeah. The next yeah. uh, big conference. We're going to talk about uh, content marketing and lead gen, which should be yeah. pretty fun. Awesome. Um, but yeah, no, we, we um, and the, the cool thing too, Brant, is like we get to serve a lot of really wonderful ministries. So uh, probably about 60% of our clients are faith-based nonprofit organizations. Nice. Nice. So we work with Dallas Theological Seminary, Compassion International, Focus on the Family. Uh, I'm heading to Luther Seminary uh, tomorrow to go give a presentation. So like, you know, we get to work with some wonderful organizations that are doing yeah. some incredible kingdom work. And the neat thing about that is that the more that we can uh, decode what works in fundraising, the more we can kind of focus on our mission and like get that information, that data into the hands of these people that are raising funds, um, you know, then the more kingdom in- impact that, that can happen. Yeah, right? absolutely. So it's pretty absolutely. cool. Well, you're building a company culture along with building a company. Uh, what does that look like, you know, as you continue to grow, add new employees, obviously share who you are with your clients as well as your other stakeholders? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I I don't know too many people that like could develop a business plan and and day one, get it all right. But like over time, (laughs) what has emerged for us is like a really, I think a compelling vision, right? So like our mission is to decode what works in fundraising, get into the hands of as many fundraisers as possible so that we can achieve our vision, which is this, to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. And like Mm. that just like captivates my imagination. That's something I can give my life to for the next 30, 40 years. Um, And what's cool about that is like, we may not be a nonprofit organization, but we're very much a cause-based organization ourselves. Sure. And the neat thing is like every single one of our clients, they're they're in the trenches every day trying to generate, you know, resources for their cause, right, for their ministry. Uh, but they also get to unite to this this other cause, which is this cause of generosity. And the cool thing about that is like, I feel like we get to be like a heavenly investment banker, because if you think about yeah. it, like there's only one way that you can take the wealth from this world into the next world. And that's by investing into things that are going to last forever. And Amen. so, you know, that's why yeah. it's such a, a wonderful, wonderful like ministry. And so like out of like that vision and mission, we've got eight core values. Uh, probably the most, uh, I guess, popular one is, is this idea of like erring on the side of generosity, right? Mm. Which means that like when we're faced with a decision, right? And we've, we've, we've had this, this, this value guide a lot of very, you know, difficult decisions, but like when, when it comes time to make a decision, you know, we always want to make sure that we can err on the side of generosity. And so we, we think about like, how can we engineer that into the culture of our organization? So, you know, we do things like, you know, we have a profit sharing pool, we give away 10% of our profits, we pay for all of our employees, uh, health coverage and nice. fund their HSA account. And like, we provide lunch every day. I mean, that was, right. that's a big thing. I mean, it's like every single day we sit down together as a team and we break bread uh, and yeah, with 27 employees, that's not a small expense, that's but right. it's such yeah. a great investment in just developing that culture because you get to know people on a more, I guess, personal level. Now, are you would. recruiting people from the nonprofit world or are they more marketing executives or client services folks? How, you know, what does that look like when you're bringing people in when you're a profit organization serving the nonprofit world? Yeah, they come from both, both spaces. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd say probably... Uh, 60% of our staff has, have worked at nonprofit organizations. 
and then another 40% come from the for-profit space. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, as you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to attract and retain like really good talent. Right. And, you know, being a, I mean, a small company for the size, for the number of employees we have or number of clients we have, I mean, we need to have like all-star performers in right. every single role. And, um, you know, we've really worked on, on trying to figure out like, okay, how do we codify our, our mindset and our culture and our values? Mm. And, and, and how do we actually screen that on the front end? And I mean, this is your business, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. This sure. is no easy task. And honestly, the, the biggest challenge we face today is building capacity, right? Because right. there's like, uh, there's so much opportunity and so much demand for the things that we can provide. And we have to figure out a way to kind of scale up along with the opportunity. Well, to double click on that, what, what do you personally look for when you're, you know, making bets on people you invest in and hire? Yeah, I, I think what I'm looking for is somebody that um, is compelled by the the mission and vision that we've, we've laid out. So, mm -hmm. you know, by the time I, I get to interview people, like they've already kind of like checked all the boxes, they've right. got like the right kind of skills and, you know, they've got probably the right personality for the specific role. And what I want to see is like, you know, are, are you excited about what we're building? And do mm. you see yourself being able to kind of contribute to this thing that's way bigger than any any one of us, right? Uh, and so that's what I kind of like look for is just, you know, that, that I guess, affinity for the, for the mission. Yeah, yeah. Are there specific interview questions that you use, uh, you know, particularly with someone that maybe, maybe is a level or two below you in the organization that's coming in, but, you know, that hiring manager wants you to, you know, get a chance to meet with them. What, what, what do you zero in on? What, what are the specific questions you ask? What are the areas you probe? I usually start by just saying, I, I want to hear your story. I mean, mm, tell, tell me, yeah. uh, tell me about you. I want to, I want to understand like how you got to this specific place, right? I mean, like, um, and just hear them you know, share the journey that, um, you know, They're God on. has taken them through. I mean, that, that's mm. always like really exciting to me. I know you love that too. That's why you do this, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And hearing that story sometimes can also lead to new areas of exploration. Do you, do you find that as well, that you'll, you know, try to get into some of their personal issues and uh, not personal issues, but their passion issues, I guess, more in terms of what the kind of things that they've done in the past is, is that what you try to look for? Or are you looking more for qualifications and skills? You know, where do you, where do you kind of zero in on when you're having that type of an Yeah. Interview? I mean, uh, you when when they start to tell about their 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 journey, then I'll kind of like ask more kind of behavioral type of questions. Try to understand, you know, tell me a, a time when you know you had to deal with a, a, a very difficult like coworker, right? I mean, like right. how do you how do you handle right. that? What do you do? You know, and yeah. I'm trying to like yeah. see like are they answering in a way that um, kind of coordinates with what our values are culturally as a aligned right yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah that's true that's it's such a hard thing to do i you know as you know i do that for a living but but i'll tell you if that if anyone struggles with that most of my clients have that it's you know how do you really kind of get at those types of questions that really can assure you that that person is culturally aligned because it's hard you know mm -hmm. in, in 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 a tw 20 minute interview situation or even an hour situation it's hard to kind of get at that well, Tim, you've been very generous with your time, but we've got a couple other questions before we wrap up today. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of speculation about what the world looks like, you know, uh, post-COVID or, or if we will ever be post-COVID, you know, who knows mm -hmm. with vaccines and all that. What, what changes do you see, you know, ahead, particularly as it relates to your clients and the nonprofit industry, particularly those that are faith-based? Well, one thing that's happened is that 
every single nonprofit has been given a violent shove into digital transformation. Mm. And and that's been actually a, a very positive thing, especially for us. In many cases, you know, we've been fighting against inertia, right? So right. nonprofits tend to be, you know, six to 10 years behind the curve on a lot of things. Um, and, you know, they're also very risk adverse. They don't like to try new things. And for good reason, they're trying to steward their donors dollars, right? Sure. So that's a very good thing. But at the same time, when you don't, try new things, if you don't take calculated risks, you're failing to assess the biggest risk of all, which is mm. the risk of, of you know, assuming that things are going to continue to work as they did 20 years ago. And that's not, right. not the world we live in today. Yeah. So yeah. we've been tracking since uh, the middle of March, we've been tracking 162 nonprofit organizations across mm. 12 verticals, every single communication that they've sent during that time. We've been tracking all that stuff. And, and what we're seeing is that nonprofits are leaning much more into digital communication than they ever mm -hmm. have before COVID. Yeah. Right. And what's also positive, we've also been tracking the um, the donor activity as it relates to that mm. communication. And what we're seeing is that digital revenue is actually up 30% year over year compared to 2019. Wow. wow. And it's been surprise. progressively growing. So. I think that you know what we're what we're going to see is that digital is going to become more of a I, I think an area of focus for m many organizations as opposed to being like just this bolted on you know sideshow. Um, it's going to really take a leading role. Well, it does make sense too, Tim, because when you think about it, you know, when I think of nonprofits, and I've been on a couple of boards and certainly have contributed in the past, it's usually always about community and mm -hmm. it's about getting together and events and so mm -hmm. forth. And mm -hmm. you know, you just can't do those anymore. Right. Or at least not during this period of time. So so do you think digital has kind of moved into more of that realm where, you know, we're meeting there digitally <laughs> and encouraging people to, to 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 participate in that manner versus maybe attending, you know, a board meeting or a presentation or, you know, a, a, a large nonprofit event in the past? Are, are you seeing that as well? Well, for sure. And I mean, like everybody has been given a, a master's level course on how to use Zoom. Right. So, like, <laughs> you know, right. I mean, um, you know, a lot of donor conversations. That used to have to be, you know, face to face, and you have to get on an airplane. I mean, like, just think of how inefficient that is. I mean, to go right. fly around the country right. and try to meet every single one of your donors, it, it's, it's, it's hard. But like now, all of those major donors who run yeah. companies, like, they've all had to get used to these virtual meetings. So it's not like a, it's not like a, it's not a, uh, I guess a unfun experience as a, or, a, you know, unsavory experience as it has been in the past to do these virtual meetings. Well, and they're, and they're much helped. more accessible now. That's right. right. That's you right. You know, and, 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 and certainly much more willing. So You're yeah. right. Cause they're not getting on planes That's or you know, right. getting exactly. in automobiles, right? Everyone's exactly. strapped into their desk. That's right. It's a good point. <laughs> Except an invitation. <laughs> well, Tim, you've been very generous with your time. Well, one last question. And that would be, you know, what career and life advice would you give to someone who, you know, has their eyes on their own corner office or perhaps like yourself, you know, wants to be an entrepreneur and, and really, you know, fulfill his or her passion. I mean, I, I can't, talk enough about the importance of having mentors in your life. Mm, I mean, yeah. I, I've had several mentors. I constantly seek them out and find people that have maybe a little bit more gray hair than I have that have been there, that have done that. And, you know, just spending time with them. I mean, I, I still, my, my boss from KMA, I still meet with him once a month. We have lunch and he's just such a great advisor mm. and counselor and leader. My C12 chair. I mean, yeah. another example of like a great mentor in my life my dad, you know, I mean, just, right. I mean, just having people that you can use as, uh, as, as kind of a, a teacher, a sounding board, um, you know, somebody that kind of like, that will give you the, the hard unvarnished truth. I mean, that's so incredibly Seek valuable to anybody yeah. that wants to do anything. And then the second thing I would say is just like, 
stick with it, right? So like anybody that I've ever met that's been successful has not hopped from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, right? So like they stick right. it out even when things are tough and, you know, just commit to it. Find something that can captivate your imagination and just go for it. Yeah, makes so much sense. Tim Kaczuriak, uh, CEO and founder and chief innovation and optimization officer of Next After. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.